So this morning, what I want to do is I want to, I want to talk to you about the unsung hero of Isaiah's prophecy. We've been looking at, over the last four weeks now, uh, Isaiah uh, 52, verse 13, through chapter 53, this little section of prophecy that is one of the most powerful, one of the most unique portions of Scripture. I'm going to point out to you one of the ways in, in which it's so unique this morning because it really, it really is distinguished from just about every other, you know, little prophecy or portion of Scripture. And uh, so, so we've been looking at this amazing uh, view of the servant of the Lord, the, the one who is, who is disfigured beyond that of human likeness, uh, the one who is the Lord's servant, who, who is uh, uh, wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement that brings us peace is upon him. So these are the verses that we've been looking at. And my hope this morning uh, is, as I was praying, that you would be strengthened this morning in your faith, that you would be strong in the Lord in the power of his might today as a result of, of hearing the word of God this morning. You know, I, I think of Proverbs chapter 4. It says, I think it's around verse 20. It says, my son, it's a, listen to my words. Don't let them depart from your sight because they are healing to all your flesh. They're strength to your flesh and healing to all your body. So I believe that the Lord wants to heal us as well this morning, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, in, in every possible way. See, because I, I believe that even the most mature believer, it doesn't matter how long you've been following the Lord, even the most mature believer can sometimes wrestle with doubts and uncertainty and fears. Uh, I mean, you, you name some of the big names in Scripture, Moses, Abraham, Paul, Peter, all wrestled with, with, with fears and doubts and uncertainty at some particular point in their life. Listen, that's one of the reasons why this message is so important this morning because the enemy of our soul is so crafty and devious that what he does is he takes the circumstances of our lives and he uses them to undermine and to erode our faith in the living God. And so listen, if, if the enemy of our soul had the audacity to, to put thoughts of doubt into the mind of the Son of God himself, saying if, if you are the Son of God, you know, if, if, if Satan could do that. Do you think that you and I are going to escape this life without being tempted and without having to wrestle against the powers of darkness? I think not. So, without question, Jesus is the, the, the unmistakable hero of this portion of Scripture. He's, he's Yahweh's servant. He's the one who was marred and disfigured. He was the one who was crushed you know, Jesus is the hero that we needed, not the hero that the world wanted. But he's the hero that we absolutely needed. In these 15 verses, uh, he is referred to over 50 times by the personal pronoun of he, him, his, as we're going to look at just five verses in which, in which those, those personal pronouns are, are repeated 21 times, which is an amazing you know, uniqueness for this, for this portion of Scripture. But it describes the ministry of Jesus, the character of Jesus, the accomplishments of Jesus. And, and while we're absolutely encouraged in Scriptures to fix our, our eyes upon the author and the finisher of our faith, I don't want to neglect 
the unsung hero of this particular portion of Scripture for us. And I want you to try to be sensitive to who that might be as we read these five verses beginning in Isaiah 53, verse 8. And I want to stress so that I, I point out to you the, uh, the, the pronouns of he and him and his, so I'll, I'll stress that a little bit. But I want you to also be sensitive to look and to see what else this is saying, okay? So verse 8 says, For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich. In his death, he had no, done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord make his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life. What's that? After, after he has died, he will see the light of life. What's that? And be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. And he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. And he will divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressions, transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Now, I wanted to emphasize that because, because this portion of the scripture is absolutely all about Jesus. He's mentioned more than 50 times by that personal pronoun, my servant, and, and, and so on, he, him, his. And, and we know that to be unmistakably Jesus, right? We, 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 we've looked at that as over the last several weeks. If you've missed part one, two, or three, you can catch up. Go to our website, livingwordli.org, and you can listen to it right off of the website uh, in the podcast. It's, uh, it, it, it will bless your socks. I believe that with all my heart. So 21 times in these five verses. And, and, and that one line, I, I love it, it's, which is, he will see the light of life. Though he has given his life as, as an offering and as a ransom and as a sacrifice, yet he will see the light of life. What's that? That's the resurrection. That is the the reason why he came, I mean, yes, he came to deliver us from our sins, but the, the ultimate goal of the coming of the Son of God was to, was to introduce a new kind of life, to, to create a new kind of life, an indestructible life. It's called an endless life. Uh, he lives by the power of an indestructible life. And, you know, forgive me for getting a little excited about talking about the resurrection, but, but you know, we are to tap into the, the realities of the resurrection now. Paul said, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. Paul said that the same spirit that raised Christ up from the dead lives in believers and will quicken these mortal bodies of ours. And, and, and you know what? It's an amazing fact, but, but this new kind of life that, that came out of death is already at work in the lives of believers, bringing about this, this gradual uh, uh, transformation that will ultimately be in the moment in the twinkling of an eye at the resurrection conformed to his glorious body you know so forgive me for getting excited about the resurrection you know i was thinking about this uh sunday school teacher who had like these second graders 
And she was really excited about the resurrection, and she told the class. She said, she said kids, Jesus was crucified, and he was put into a borrowed tomb, and the, and the soldiers rolled this great big stone in front of the opening of the, of, of the tomb. But when Jesus came forth from the tomb, do you know what the first thing that Jesus said when he came forth out of the tomb? And just wanted to get them so engaged and so excited, this one little girl raised her hand and said, I know, I know. And she jumped up out of her seat and so excited, and the teacher said, great, what, what did Jesus say when he first came out of the tomb? And she went like this, ta-da! I have no problem with that theology. You know, if there ever was a ta-da moment, it was that moment, the greatest single moment in the universe. Listen, it was, you know, words fail to describe, you know, the the awesomeness of that victorious moment. So ta-da is a great word, you know? I mean, think about it. Theologians will tell us that that moment, you know, the moment of the resurrection was more, was more glorious than even the creation of the universe because, because while God could bring forth, you know, matter out of non-matter to bring life out of unlife is something else that has never been done before. It's absolutely unique, you know. Uh, we, we, we hear about new stars being birthed and new galaxies coming into existence, but But what God did on that day was to bring life out of death, to create a new kind of life that is absolutely marvelous for us. But I want you to to know that there is another person that if you were sensitive to the reading of those verses a little while ago, he's he's my servant and and it's my will to crush him. And, and, And we're talking about God the Father. And I want to talk to you for a, a few minutes about the unsung hero. And you know, there's, there's echoes here of, of Abraham. Remember when Abraham was, was, was called upon by God to, to take his son, his only son Isaac, and offer him up as a sacrifice? And, and we've looked at the emotional and the mental strain and the stress of that must have been on Abraham. And yet, Abraham was willing to be obedient unto God. And what did God say right before? He said, do, do, do the child no harm. He said, he said, now I know that you love me. Listen, Calvary is the proof of the love of God. It is the litmus test. It is, it is the absolute assurance that we are loved by the Father. And I want to bring that out this morning in a way maybe that you've never heard before. But God loves us. Jesus loves us. Yes, I know. Because the Bible tells me so. That, that, that cute little child song. My son uh, had a funeral this week. My son, Will, of a three-year-old who unfortunately and, and tragically uh, fell out of a third-story window. Three-year-old. And, and, and they sang that song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, at, at a three-year-old's funeral. I mean, how, how could, what, what else could you say to comfort a family in a situation like that? But we know that we know that we know that we are loved of God. It's not just, you see, with some people I think they say, well, Jesus I know loves me, but I'm not quite sure, a little uncertain about how the Father feels about me. I, I think of him as the almighty, as the, as the everlasting one, you know, uh, I want you to listen to this in in Romans 5, verse 8. It says this. It says, God, 
Speaking of God the Father, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yes, Jesus loves us, but the focus of this verse Paul is saying is that God the Father, he loves us, and the way in which he has loved us is to demonstrate that love for us. So I got a statement, and, and, and believe me, I'm not just parsing words here in this statement that I wanted to share with you. This is profoundly important. God does not love men because Christ died for them. Christ died for them because God loved them. God didn't send his son to die for me because it was to make me love him. He loved me unconditionally and therefore sent his son for me. Listen to this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, a covering for our sins. The father himself loves us. Jesus himself said it in John three sixteen. some of the most famous words about the love of the Father. He said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Jesus said that. For God so... And you know the most important word in that, in that sentence? is the smallest word. It's so. So. That word so is, is, is the quality of that love that God has for us. Not just the quantity of that love, but the quality of of that love. I remember a song that we used to sing some years ago, uh, Oh, How He Loves You and Me. Uh, he gave his life. What more could he, could he do? You know, it's a simple question. You know, what, what more could he do to demonstrate his love? In other words, if, if we don't get it because we, we don't understand this is how much he loved us, that he sent his son to die for us, then, then you'll never be convinced of the love of God. Sometimes in Scripture, Jesus is referred to as the seed of Abraham. Sometimes he's referred to as the seed of David. And go way back to Genesis 3.15, he's referred to as the seed of the woman who would come and crush the head of the serpent, okay? Uh, the seed of Abraham, the seed of David. What, what, what's, with, what's with this seed? Uh, through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. You know what a seed is. A seed, a seed that is planted uh, produces something that is far greater than, than, than the seed itself, right? Uh, remember the parable that Jesus said? Uh, he said that sower went forth and sowing precious seed. He, he planted. Farmers plant seeds with this purpose in mind that they might gather in a harvest, you and I were the harvest. God the Father was the one who sowed the seed of his son into the world to gather a harvest. And you and I are the harvest that, that God is after in bringing many sons unto glory, many daughters. You know, uh, Jesus is called in Scripture the first fruits of those that slept. He's called the first begotten from the dead. He's the first. God planted him into the earth. And out of a result of his dying. In fact, that's what Jesus said. The last public thing that Jesus said in John chapter 12, 
John 13 through 17 is the, is the intimate time that Jesus spent with his disciples. But John chapter 12 was the last public appearance of Jesus. And he said this, that unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. The necessity for Jesus to die, to bring forth you and I, as spiritual sons and daughters in the kingdom of God. I had been pastoring uh, probably for at least about four, maybe five years at the time. Um, and my son, Will, who was, uh, I guess, about maybe a first grader over at SCS, Midtown Christian School, uh, teacher said, uh, does anybody have a prayer request? And, and Billy shot his hand up and said, his prayer request was that his father would get a job. Now, I've been pastoring for five or six years at the time, and he's, praying, he's, he's asking for prayer that his father would get a job. I guess he doesn't feel that pastors, you know, at the time didn't, didn't really work very much, you know. Uh, I mean, after all, we only work one day a week, and we have a couple of guys help us carry all the money, you know. Think about it. Uh, six years old, you know. Uh, I know my son now, who has been pastoring, he pastors a church down uh, in Virginia, he's on staff as, as a pastor, uh, has been pastoring for a number of years. I wonder if he still has that same opinion. <laughs> I probably don't think so, and I wonder if any of his three kids have ever asked for a prayer request that he might get a job. I don't think so. Uh, my, my point in mentioning that is for two reasons. N- number one, I, I know what it's like to be a father to so to sow a son for the sake of the kingdom of God. And I, and I know that it's hard. And, and, and it's hard sometimes when I, when I see my wife's heart break because the distance between us is so far. He's down in Virginia. We see him now like maybe a couple of times a year. And uh, it's hard. But I also, I also know that having sown a son into the kingdom, that I've also reaped a harvest of sons and daughters here in this house. And that's a good thing. But I also mention it to say this, that sometimes when you're a six-year-old, you speak about your dad, you know, outside of yourself without really perfect information. And I got to tell you and be honest with you, I, I kind of feel that way about myself. Even now talking to you about the Heavenly Father, that I'm speaking beyond myself. Because when it comes to describing the love of God, it's incomprehensible. Paul says it surpasses knowledge. It's more than human intellect can fully grasp or understand or articulate. And so that's what I kind of feel right now. You know, I, I got this vivid memory of when I was about six years old. And uh, I remember sitting on a brownstone stoop in Brooklyn because uh, that's where I lived, and uh, that's what you did in the summertime. You, you, you sat outside on the stoop, and uh, I remember talking with the, with the tenants or, the, or the, the people that lived in the apartment above us. We lived on the ground floor. They lived in the apartment above us, and, and, and I'm, I'm six years old, and, and, and I'm relating what, is, what, what has just happened in our family. My father's uncle, Joe, has passed away, and uh, he has left my dad his business as an inheritance. And here I am, six years old, telling them that, that our life is about to change, probably because, 
because I've heard somebody in the, in the house say that, and so I'm repeating simply what I've heard, you know, and, I, and I'm telling them about how that I've got to now as a six-year-old help my dad in his shop, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be working for him, and I'm going to be making a dollar a week, you know. Well, let me tell you, back around 1954, 55, a dollar a week, you could buy a lot of candy. Some of you might remember, you know, buying penny candy. You know that you could do that? We used to go into the store and buy penny candy, you know, each little candy item for a penny. I mean, that was marvelous back in the day. Ooh, the good old days, right? But here I am, right, as a six-year-old talking, talking outside of myself, talking beyond what I really knew or really understood. And I still feel that way. We are the objects of divine affection beyond our comprehension. That God has set his love upon us and it's called, it's called an everlasting love, which means it has no beginning and it has no, no end. He loved us with a quality of love that can never be exhausted, that can never be measured, and can never be thwarted. I want you to think about the love of the Father this morning. But what makes this love so amazing I think Andrew hinted at it a little bit this morning, though he didn't know it, was that he is so infinitely holy and we are not. That he is so infinitely worthy and we are so infinitely unworthy by comparison. He is righteous and we are unrighteous. And that disparity between us is, is, is more than the measure of the universe itself. But the everlasting love of God, even sin could not separate us from his love. For he chose to, the, the one who is, who is unapproachable light itself has ventured to plunge into the darkness so that he might purchase undeserving and unworthy rebels who are just as hostile, apart from grace, as the, as the wackos that we've seen on the TV over the last several days in the Middle East. I mean, absolutely, that, that is us toward God. That's us toward God, apart from the grace of God. But not only is his love eternal, his love is irrevocable. When he sets his love upon his chosen, his beloved, his elect, it is irrevocable. Nothing can change it. So, so I, I've got to ask this question this morning, and here's the question. What do you think of? What comes to mind when you hear the word God? See, I know this because I talk to people, and, and I know this, that some people's view of God is distorted. It's, it's, it's not what it should be. It's not the biblical presentation of God. Some people think of God as a coach. My son Anthony had, when he was in high school, Anthony had what I called the coach from hell because th this guy was constantly yelling and screaming. You know, am I, am I right, guys? Right? I mean, I, I, I went to his office to have a nice chat with him to make him an offer that he couldn't refuse, you know? I mean, it's hard when you're a pastor and you've got to throw around, you know, your, your godfather kind of, you know, uh, 
presentation, but, you know, I mean, that's my boy, you know. But listen, some, some people think that God is a coach and, and that really all that he's interested in is in the big game. And maybe, maybe if you're lucky, you'll get a token, you know, good job or pat on the back. You see, his, his, he doesn't speak to us in loving, encouraging words. He, he says, jump higher, run faster, two more laps, you know. And so for those of you who view God as a coach, you know, you join the church and you've made the team, you know, God is not a coach. God's not a coach. Some of you think that God maybe is like a teacher, you know, and, and what's really important is that you get a good grade, that you, that, you, that you pass the course and you make it to the next level or the next grade. And so memorizing scripture is important and studying is important and, and, and learning facts is important and doctrine is important. But God's not like a teacher either. Some people think that God's like a boss, you know, that all he's really interested in is, is you know, put in your eight hours or your 12 hours or, or you know, he's, he, he, he's measuring, you know, your performance. And, and, and to you, God is the boss who, who either decides whether or not you're worthy of a vacation or worthy of a promotion or maybe you should even get fired. But I want you to know that God is a father. And I realize that saying that God is a father, I run the risk of being misunderstood. I run the risk of having thoughts and feelings come to mind in the event that you didn't have the kind of father that you desired that you would have had. See, some fathers maybe conjure up the thoughts of somebody with a strap in their hand, maybe somebody who was a bully, who was verbally abusive. Uh, therefore, because of that, I know that people's perceptions are sometimes distorted. Maybe it's the father that you didn't have. Maybe your father passed away even before you were born. Or that father is a distant father, an absentee father. Uh, I really believe that God wants to heal in this house this morning. Let me, let me just lighten up the, the mood for a minute because I know that's kind of heavy and I even kind of sense that. So let me just kind of lighten up the mood for a minute. I found 10 things that you would love to hear your father say that he'll never say. Okay, N- number 10, starting from 10 going down. Number 10, could you turn the music up a little louder so that I can enjoy it too? (laughs) Curfew, curfew is just a general time to shoot for. I'm not running a prison here. Number eight, I love this one. I know I've said this. I don't mind air conditioning the whole neighborhood. Go ahead, leave the door open. Number seven, looks like we're lost. I better stop and ask for directions. You'll never hear that one, right? Number six, Make all the racket you want. I could sleep through anything, you know? Uh, five. My tools, they're your tools. Help yourself. I love this one, too. Your taste in clothes, quite exquisite. Uh, while I'm gone, please feel free to invite all your friends over. You know, never hear that one. Uh, chores, chores, they could wait. Go ahead, have some fun. And I love this one. Holding the remote is such a burden. Somebody else, please take this for a while. You know, those are things you'll never hear. And really, what's the things that you want to hear? Two of the most important things you want to hear from an earthly parent is, is, 
is I love you and I'm proud of you. And uh, Kelly, I love you and I'm proud of you. Anthony, I love you and I'm proud of you. Will, if you're listening to this podcast, I love you and I'm proud of you. Forgive you for asking that I get a job. But God really does want to heal your heart this morning if you haven't had the father that you know, in doing this, preparing this message, I thought about my father. I, I, I have I a blessed father. He's, he's really good. He wasn't perfect. Who is? And that's the point, is that we're all flawed and we're all imperfect. And I was thinking about what, and I, and I, and I, and I was wondering, did this have an effect upon me? And, and I don't know, but, but I thought about the fact that my, my dad, my, da, my dad, um, he loved to talk. Uh, he talked with his family. He talked with his customers. You know, back in the day when you just didn't, you know, rush in and rush out of a store where, where people really, you know, spoke to each other. My dad was, was, was known for having wisdom and, and for giving advice and, and for being, you know, gracious to people. And, and yet I, I also remember, I also remember that I never really had any deep conversations with my dad. And that kind of came up this week as I was preparing this message. And, and I wondered to myself, God, has that had a, an effect upon me? Because I haven't really had any deep conversation. And I don't know what the answer is, but I know that God wants to heal each and every single one of us. You see, whenever Jesus spoke about God, he spoke of, about him as his father. In fact, last week, I brought out that the only time Jesus ever called God God was when he was hanging from the cross and he said, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And the reason for that being is that in that moment, his relationship with his, with his, with his God and Father was, was, was no longer parental. It was in the substitute of sinners. And it, was, and it was judicial that he was experiencing. But in 21 instances where we find Jesus communicating in prayer with his father, he's talking to him as father, Abba. And not in the austere word of father, but rather in the word Abba, which is the word that a child would use in affection, uh, the, the assurance of trust and, 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 and tenderness of a child to, to his daddy. And let me tell you, what Jesus introduced to the disciples in calling God Abba was revolutionary Nowhere really in the, in the Old Testament, uh, maybe one or two examples in which God was called the Father, but for the most part, he was the most high God. So Jesus came and he introduced something that was revolutionary and radical in this relationship to, to, to this tenderness between God the Creator, Father, and his children. I grew up hearing, and I know some of you probably grew up also hearing this phrase, you know, t- tell me if I'm, if I'm right or wrong. This is going to hurt me more than it does you. How many of you remember hearing that, right? And you know what? I said at the time when I first heard it, I said, yeah, right, you know. But when you become a father, it really is true. Th- th- there are many levels upon which a father hurts when his children hurt. Or when somebody that you love is in pain, and, and, and especially if you're a man, 
and you go into the fixed mode and you can't fix it and how, how emotionally stressful and painful that is when somebody that you love is, is, is suffering or hurting and you can't do anything about it? Well, here's the amazing thing that God the Father, it was the Father's will to crush his son and he couldn't do anything about it. Because of his love for us, that's the only way that would bring about this redemption and the salvation of children. And if the cross means anything this morning, it means that Jesus Christ has secured for us a depth of intimacy that can never be broken, that can never be separated. I came across this portion I don't know what to call it. It's a video. If, if you want to search for it on YouTube, you can listen to it in its entirety. What I've done is I've condensed it, but I, I, I want the words to heal you this morning. Uh, it's called a father's love letter. You could just do a search on that and, and you can, I've also made copies, about a dozen copies or so uh, of what I'm going to read to you. And, and I, I want you to listen you know, if you feel at liberty, just close your eyes. I, I, each of these sentences, phrases, comes from the Scripture, from a different portion, a psalm, the book of Acts, the book of Genesis. I won't take the time to read the reference, but I just want to give you the sentence because the way that it's constructed, it's constructed as a letter. But this is God the Father's heart for us. Now listen. He says, I know you when you sit down and when you rise up. I'm familiar with all of your ways. Even the very hairs of your head are numbered, for you were made in my image. In me you live and move and have your being, for you are my offspring. I knew you even before you were conceived. I chose you when I planned creation. All of your days are written in my book. I determined the exact time of your birth and where you should live. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I knit you together in your mother's womb and brought you forth on the day that you were born. And it's my desire to lavish my love upon you. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope because I love you with an everlasting love. I rejoice over you with singing. I will never stop doing good to you, for you are my treasured possession. Some of you beginning to realize where some of these verses are coming from. Listen, I want to show you great and marvelous things. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me, delight in me, and I will give you the desires of your heart, for it is I who gave those desires to you. I am also the Father who comforts you in all your troubles. When you are brokenhearted, I am close to you. As a shepherd carries the lamb, I've carried you close to my heart. One day, I will wipe away every tear from your eye, and I'll take away all the pain that you've suffered in this earth, because I am your Father who loves you, even as I love my son Jesus. For in Jesus, my love is revealed He came and demonstrated that I am for you, not against you, and to tell you that I am not counting your sins. Jesus died so that you could be reconciled. His death was the ultimate expression of my love. I gave up everything I loved that I might gain your love, and nothing will separate us from this love. 
Let the word of God wash over your soul this morning and heal your heart. See, I said at the beginning of this message this morning that the enemy of our soul is devious and crafty at causing the circumstances of life to be used as a leverage against us to erode and to, and to undermine our faith in God and especially in the love that the Father has for us. So what I want you to know this morning, what I want you to take away this morning is that the gospel according to Isaiah was designed to produce in you and in me unshakable confidence in the love of God unshakable confidence in his love. I'll close with this. I came across a blog of a father who had just become a father. He says, recently my wife and I became proud parents of a handsome baby boy. Josiah sleeps almost 20 plus hours a day. I want to write him back and say, don't complain. You know, he only wakes when he wants to be fed or has his diaper to be changed. So here I am, a proud father of my first child, and all I want to do is spend some quality time with him, and yet he totally ignores me as he sleeps, makes a fuss when he wants something like a bottle, or cries out when he's made a mess in his diaper. Nevertheless, he writes, I still love him with all my heart. And even though he will likely continue to ignore me, and only engage me when he needs something, I joyfully will run to his side to clean up his messes and to give him what he needs when he's hungry and he's thirsty. And I read that and I said to myself, that, that's us as adults. We sometimes have ignored our Heavenly Father. We sometimes cry out to him for help when we need something, when we've made a mess of things. But he is also quick to run to us and to be our help, an ever-present help in a time of need. See, what I want you to know is that he doesn't just love indifferently. He loves passionately, and he loves fervently to the point where he will not let you go. If you are the object of his love, he will not relent until he makes your heart in his one. Can we pray this morning? Father, I thank you today that we can call you Abba. That we, Lord God, have been lavished with so great a love that we should be called the children of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but when we see you, we shall be like you. For we shall see you as you are. And everyone that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. Lord, I just pray today, Lord God, for healing in the house. For those who've had imperfect fathers, because we all have had imperfect fathers, you know that. And and so you want to communicate healing to our hearts so that the relationship that we have with you is, is one that is blessed and one that is intimate, and one that is affectionate, in spite of what our experiences may be, in spite of what the enemy tries to do through the circumstances and the disappointments and the, and the, and the dreams and hopes that have not yet materialized in our life. God, you love us. You have engraved our names upon the palms of your hand. 
A mother can forget her child, but you, you say that you will never forget. You will never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, and I just pray for anyone this morning who's here that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, doesn't have this saving relationship. And I know this, that that just as grace is unmerited and grace is undeserved and unearned, so is the love of the Father. It is unearned and undeserved and unmerited. And it doesn't come anything from us. It comes because, because of who you are, God. You don't have love as an attribute. You it, it, our love as a nature. It's your nature to, to love. So I pray this morning that before people leave this place today, that every single person will have their name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, if that hasn't been the transaction yet, that through faith in Jesus Christ and in receiving the gift of God, that that transaction will take place. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Receive that this morning and your life will be changed, transformed. Because this kind of love, cast out fear, this kind of love is the kind of love that heals these hearts of ours. Let's all stand together as we worship this morning one more time. I'll just put them right up here so that you can have that. Lord bless you.